a very a very good morning to you. I have a squeaky chair today. It's lovely to see you all here this morning. Can you hear it? I have a. Can you hear? Can you hear that? That's my back. That's not the chair. I'm just going to do this all morning and annoy everybody. So just tell me to sit still. Um, I hope you don't mind me sitting down. I just actually much prefer it, bizarrely. Um, so I'm in charge. I can kind of do what I like. So next week I may lay, lie down and bring a chaise longue or something like that. Anyway, my name is Neil. For those of you who don't know me, uh, along with uh, Kate, we lead this amazing church, the Southwest London Vineyard, which is a, a real privilege and honor for us to do. Uh, we've been doing that since 2008 when we took over from uh, the previous pastors, uh, John and Alan and Mumford, who weren't really very good, you know, but um, that's a joke. They're amazing and we're still trying to attempt to fill their ginormous shoes. Uh, I've been on the staff team here since 1992, which is 30 years, um, which is hard because I'm only 27. Um, <laughs> Anyway, none of that's got to do with anything at all. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, uh, if nothing more than, nothing other than an attempt to remind us uh, why it is we've been looking at justice. You know, we started meeting together again um, after the pandemic in, I think, 25th of July. And pretty much since then, certainly since September, we've been looking at uh, themes of justice. And, and, and this is really an attempt to kind of remind ourselves is why we've been reflecting on why justice matters not only to God, not only as reflected in the scriptures, but why it should matter to us as followers of Jesus and as the church. Um, for now, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to, uh, you'll be overjoyed to hear that we're going to be looking at another Old Testament prophet. And this one, I'm pretty sure, uh, did have a long white beard and bony, pointy fingers, which is what I've been saying over the past few weeks. It is, of course, none other than our very own weeping prophet, Jeremiah, just to cheer you up endlessly. Um, we're going to be looking at a few different passages of Scripture uh, this morning, which is one of the very many reasons. Back row, please. <laughs> Never sit at the back, right? Because like that's when that's what that's what teachers always spot. People always spot the back row, you know. Uh, <laughs> we've got some. We've got the naughty kids back in the, the they're back in the building on the back row. And this time they've brought their baby with them, which is amazing. Olivia, we just love Olivia. Um, Bibles. Another reason, because we're going to be looking at different passages of scripture, another really important reason, I've been banging on this the last few weeks, why it's important that we have our Bibles with us and have them, certainly when we're in church, in some form or another, and have them to hand. Personally, you know, I, I, I like the actual, the actual book thing, you know, the one with like leather and, and pages and red letter words of Jesus and, and things like that, but that may just be because I'm old-fashioned. It may, of course, just be because I'm old. But um, it, the, the, the important thing is how, how do we get the stuff that's in here into here, and most importantly, into here? Uh, I don't really care how we do that, but that's uh, what 
uh, matters. It's good for us to have it on us. It's good to have it and carry it with us on our person. This is uh, good for us to be reading and rereading and to keep reading. It's good for teaching. It's good for correcting. It's good for training in righteousness. It's good for equipping the saints for works of service. It's good to grapple with. You know, it's generally all around uh, pretty good. Whatever you may think about it um, and whatever you think of it, the Bible is our plumb line. It is our yardstick. It is our gold standard. A hundred percent, it is challenging. It is very challenging in parts, but we need to wrestle with it and we need to grapple with it. We don't just throw it out because it's difficult. Uh, in spite of its difficulty, it is no less God-breathed. And we need to be a people of the word of God. Um, so anyway, over the past couple of weeks, uh, with a couple of detours, uh, one was a detour with the fire drill. Last week was a detour about something else. But over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the Old Testament prophet Micah. And one of the most famous Bible verses about justice can be found in, in Micah chapter 6, where he writes this. He has told you, O human, what is good, and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And last week we looked at you know, the doing justice bit, um, the, the Hebrew word of that being mishpat, and we sort of was exploring how the idea of justice coupled with mercy and humility is about creating a society and a culture whereby the most disadvantaged, the most vulnerable, what uh, biblical scholars refer to as the quartet of the vulnerable, the, the poor and the widow and the orphan and the foreigner in our midst, and how, how, just, how justice is about creating a society where those people, where the vulnerable especially, are supported and cared for. And then we began to think through, you know, who might be our quartet of the vulnerable in, the 20, in 21st century London? Who might those groups or those people be uh, for us? And, and then we talked about how the, uh, this articulation of justice is perfectly in, in, in exemplified, perfectly embodied in and through the person of Jesus. As the incarnation of the living God, Jesus, more than anyone, shows us what justice, what mishpat uh, looks like. And the reality is, if we are a people who consider the scriptures and the Bible as being our source of divine wisdom, we do need to recognize that the fact that, that laid out on the pages of the scriptures, there's this extraordinary thread that weaves its way all the way through scriptures um, around this emphasis on the poor and on the living conditions of people in poverty, uh, where the poor and the orphan or the widow or the stranger, whoever it may be, people who are vulnerable, uh, where their problems are to become our problems. If you look at the Bible, that seems to be the emerging definition of a just community. And you can say, you can choose to say, you know, yeah, Neil, I hear you. Uh, maybe that's what the Bible is saying, you know, but I'm not sure I agree with it or with you. Uh, maybe there's another way of looking at it. That's down to your choice of how you read the Bible. That's up to you. Uh, but whatever we choose to do with it, I, I think, I personally, I think the Bible's pretty clear about saying that justice is actually identifying people who are marginalized and vulnerable 
and making sure that there are systems and frameworks in place that look after them and protect them and give them hope. And so the question is, according to the biblical vision of justice, will I allow myself, will I allow the Spirit of God to uh, intervene in my life in such a way so that I can become aware of those in need, first of all, and then go beyond that and make their problems, their challenges, their difficulties part of my responsibility, part of my duty. Because I think that's the biblical vision of justice, of mishpat, making other people's challenges and concerns our and my concerns. And all of these uh, concepts in the Bible that we've been looking at are all about really our posture towards the vulnerable and the poor in our communities. So let's have a look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 9. Uh, this is in, starting in verse 23. And there's this, um, it's another one, it's a bit like Micah, it's another little sort of poem, if you like. And I think it brings a lot of these threads uh, together. This is what it says in uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich man boast of their riches. Rather, let the one who boasts boast about this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord who exercises um, mercy. Uh, some translations have it as loving devotion or love or goodness or kindness or faithfulness. But I am the Lord who exercises mercy, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in those I delight. And, and these things, uh, mercy, justice, and righteousness, they all keep cropping up all over the place. They all keep popping up and cropping up together. And, and you see from this passage here in, in Jeremiah chapter 9, you've got these, these triads, if you like, um, of what's perceived to be valuable. And, and they're kind of contrasted with each other. So, so first of all, you know, these are the things that we might perceive as being valuable. First of all, you've got, let not the wise boast of their wisdom. And then, or the strong boast of their strength. And then, or the rich man boast of their riches. You know, and so the wise, you know, those with, you know, extensive knowledge uh, and education and insight. That, that could be what that means. Or, or the mighty, um, which of course, you know, isn't just about, you know, how much you can uh, bench press. Um, sorry, Petrus and Ali, I know you were having a, a bench press debate in house group the other week. I heard about it. Um, Alex was mortified because he wasn't in the same league. But um, it's not, sadly, tragically, it's not about how much you can pitch press. And then there's wealth, you know, how secure are we financially? And, and more importantly, how important is that to us? Uh, so you've got knowledge and influence and wealth. And I think the whole point of what Jeremiah is getting at is if these are the things that we think are important, if these are the things that we think are valuable, if these are the things that that give us value, we've missed out on so much of the heart of God. Uh, rather, I think Jeremiah is saying, if you're going to boast about anything, there's really only one thing to boast about, and that is that we understand and know God, our Father and our Creator, that we know and understand God. Verse 24, rather let the one who boasts boast about this, that they understand and know me. And understanding and knowing our creator means understanding and knowing the God who exercises justice 
righteousness, and mercy. Now, we mustn't get this wrong. These verses from Jeremiah aren't saying, you know, just ignore wisdom. They're not saying don't try and become wise. They're not saying, you know, don't try and have influence. They're not saying don't try and generate wealth. They're not saying that at all. What I think it's saying is just don't boast about those things. Don't make those things the end goal. Don't make those things the things that give you your identity. You know, when we take those things, things like knowledge and power and wealth, when we let those things and, you know, given the time at which we find ourselves, a whole host of other things uh, besides that our culture is telling us are important, when we let those things define our value and our identity, we're starting to miss the very essence of the gospel of Jesus. So it's not about whether or not we have those things. It's not about whether you're wise or you have influence or you have power. Those things are fine. It's, it's, it's about what or who we're going to allow to define our identity and shape what we think is valuable. And in a season like the one we've all been through and really, if we're honest, we're still going through, uh, never has it been more important, I think, for us to reflect on um, what it is that's really shaping us at the moment. What is it that's really forming us? What is, this, what is it that's really defining us? Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote this, said, the gods we worship write their names on our faces, be sure of that. And we will worship something, have no doubt about that either. We may think that our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our heart, but it will out. That which dominates will determine our life and character. Therefore, it behoves us to be careful what we worship, for what we worship we are becoming. In a season like the one uh, that we've all been through, I think now is a very good time for us all to take a pause and ask ourselves, what gods are we worshipping? What gods have we started to worship? What gods um, are writing their names on our faces? Um, Is it accumulating knowledge or uh, being popular or is it trying to find financial security or I don't know, many of the, the many other things, the countless other things that are vying for our attention in this emerging post-COVID world. Things like uh, busyness, distraction, individualism, and a whole host of other things besides. That which dominates will determine our lives and characters, therefore it behoves us to be careful what we worship for what we worship we are becoming. That was um, just another one of those asides, just just for free. Jeremiah is saying, don't make those things, whatever they are, don't make those things the end goal. Don't make those things the things that give us our identity. Don't let those things shape us and form us. Because when we understand and know that he is the Lord uh, who exercises mercy and justice and righteousness, then we know that any wisdom, any influence, any uh, riches that we may have We know that none of those things are ours. We hold them all incredibly lightly uh, because we then know that they've only merely been entrusted into our hands as gifts. And to know and understand God is then to put those things in the service of the things that delight God. 
which is our mercy, justice, and righteousness. And then, if there's any boasting to be done, rather let us boast about this. Rather let one who boasts, boast about this, that they understand and know God. So, justice, mercy, and righteousness, they all show up a lot. And, and righteousness, um, tzaddik, tzaddika in, in Hebrew, is, is like a companion word to justice. They sit alongside each other uh, all the time. Justice and righteousness in the Hebrew, sometimes it's like just like one phrase, one uh, thing that crops up uh, some like 50 times in the Old Testament alone. And when these two things are put together, when they're coupled together, they're kind of, just, they're kind of used to describe justice that's oriented towards the vulnerable in uh, our community. We read in places like Psalm 89 verse 14 where it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Or in places like Isaiah 32 verse 1, talking about the messianic king um, uh, who uh, will reign in righteousness and rule with justice. You know, what's being talked about here is uh, justice for the vulnerable. And, and righteousness is like being this character trait or, or the standard, the value, if you like. Because, you know, when we do justice, like Micah's saying and describing, we don't just do it, you know, out of the goodness of our hearts and just because we're kind of like nice people. We're doing it, it's coming out of, it's emerging out of some core belief, some core value system, some kind of standard. And that standard is righteousness. Why are we concerned about justice for the vulnerable? Um, well, in, in Hebrew, tzedakah, at its core, has, is all to do with relationships. It kind of describes that standard, that value of righteousness, of being in right relationship. First and foremost with God, and then out of that relationship comes right relationships with ourselves, with one another, and with the world in which we find ourselves. And if you look at the couple of hundred uses of tzedakah in the Old Testament, it's more often than not this ethical standard of being in right relationships. It's a, it's a relational word. It's a relational concept. Um, it's kind of similar to the way that we might say, you know, we're doing right by someone, or are we doing right by someone? And if we look at how righteousness and justice are tied together, if righteousness, if tzedakah is this standard, this value, this core belief, this important, the, the, the importance and the centrality of being in right relationships with God, with ourselves, with one another and the world in which we find ourselves, then justice, mishpat, these are the things that need to be done. These are like the actions, the the doing, the verb, you know, the, the actions, the activities that enable righteousness, you know, that rightness to happen. So righteousness is about relating to everyone and everything around us in the right way. And the things that demonstrate that um, value, the, the kind of actions that reflect um, righteousness, the, the, the justice, the, the mishpat that happens out of that righteousness will be, you know, justice will be both retributive uh, in terms of it might mean confronting the things that need to be confronted and having those things accounted for through things like the law courts and the law and the police or whatever, uh, but also 
it's through the other sense of justice that we looked at last week, which is the vast majority of cases where justice is used in the Old Testament, where it's used to describe a kind of restorative justice. The idea of looking out for the plight of the vulnerable. Um, maybe before I lose you all completely, an example from the scriptures will help. Uh, have a look at Job, chapter 29. Got a bit of a weeping prophet in Jeremiah, and then just to boost your joy, we're going to look at Job. Job 29, this is, uh, this is from Job's final discourse before God about why Job thinks it's so messed up that he's had to endure so much suffering. Uh, I, I personally think it's one of the stunning passages of scripture. I think it hopefully illustrates what I'm trying to get at about righteousness in the Old Testament. Uh, Job 29 verse 12 uh, says this. This is Job speaking to God. He's kind of railing against God. He says, I delivered the poor who cried for help and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one um, needy, uh, one ready to, uh, to perish came upon me. I made the widow's heart sing for joy. You see, you've got almost a, just, uh, a quartet of the vulnerable there. You've got three of them at least, the poor, the orphan, and the widow. And then he goes on, he says, I put on righteousness, tzedakah, and it clothed me. I put on justice, that's mishpat, like a robe and a turban. I was eyes for the blind, feet for the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I searched out the case of him whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. And so what he's saying is, hey, God, like, you know, Satan has decided that he wants to sort of sift me. And you've said that's okay. But I just want to, I just want to say, like, this is, this is who I am. This is, this is what I've been doing. This is the kind of life I've been living. One that as best I can, best as I know how, embodies justice and righteousness. You know, it's like Job is saying, this is me paraphrasing, it's like, you know, these are the things that you say are the, like the foundation of your throne. And I'm taking it seriously, and look what's happened to me. You know, that's what Job's saying to God. I'd be saying that and some other things as well if I found myself in Job's shoes. Uh, but you see how Job talks about righteousness as this Zedekar, as being something that clothes him. He talks about justice, mishpat, uh, kind of like being almost like outer garments, you know, like a hat and a coat. It's like these two things, righteousness and justice, are these outward-oriented values and practices, these values and actions of how Job is relating to other people, particularly how he's relating to people in difficult situations, the vulnerable, the poor, the orphan, the widow. You know, just like the first thing that we see um, on other people um, are their clothes, um, the things they're wearing. You know, this morning I went up to Jez and I said, look, Jez, a vision in orange. It's the first thing I noticed about him is just looking radiant and glorious. Um, you know, every week I just wear the same old stuff. Uh, you know, Ronnie, I mean, where's Ronnie? She's not here. Ronnie is always like a veritable vision in pink. Um, some of you, you know, Liz is always wearing bright colors. Our clothes, what we wear, it's, it's often what people see first. And it says, our clothes say something about us. And what he's saying is, Job is saying is, metaphorically, the clothes that he wears are justice and righteousness. Uh, Job uh, leads with being in right relationship with others and doing justice for those in need, especially the vulnerable. 
Uh, the book of Isaiah, another, loving the Old Testament prophets right now, um, another Old Testament prophet is replete with this language of righteousness and justice. Um, especially in Isaiah, when it comes to Isaiah's hope and longing for the coming Messiah, a Jesus, a hope uh, and longing fulfilled some 800 years later in and through the person of Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 11, he talks about this, he says this, he says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill and slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And so this is all fantastic, like Old Testament prophet, poetic language. Uh, what he's saying is out of this sawn off stump of Israel, Israel has now like become this, it was this flourishing tree, it's now become this sawn off stump cut down by the nations. But in spite of that, there's this promise that even though it's, things are looking pretty bleak, this, um, this stump is looking pretty dead, that there will be a shoot that will spring up out of this old dead stump. Uh, and all of this language of branches and shoots, they're, they're all metaphors for a king, the coming of a king. And of this king, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And we see, we're back to our triads from Jeremiah. The anointing of the Lord will be and rest upon this king, and he will walk in wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Uh, he won't wield justice by what he sees with his eyes or what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the poor. And judge the poor here means with righteousness he will render mishpat. He will render justice for the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness, tzedakah, will be a belt around his waist, faithfulness around his loins. So you've got more clothing language coming up, belts and things like that. Just to round off, let's have a look at Isaiah 61. Uh, this is at the end of the passage that Jesus uh, quotes from in Luke chapter 4. Um, it's kind of like Jesus' inaugural speech. It's where Jesus announces the coming of the kingdom, the fulfillment of the kingdom in and through him. And um, I think we're just actually going to read it all, um, if that's okay. It's the whole chapter of Isaiah 61. It says this. This is describing Jesus. Jesus references his back again in, in Luke chapter 4 when he stands up in the synagogue. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks 
of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people that the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and has arrayed me in robes of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a, a priest and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all the nations. Amen. 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 Verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. I, I could sing it. My soul rejoices in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and has arrayed me in robes of his righteousness. And we're back to this idea, you know, same as with Job, that righteousness and justice are like being wrapped up, like being clothed in this way of being. And again, we see it here in Isaiah 61, the common denominator, of course, and is always the poor. It's the brokenhearted. It's the captives. It's the prisoners. It's to comfort all who mourn. It's all those who grieve and all those who despair. It's back to our quartet of the vulnerable. And it's opening up and it's broadening and it's widening and it's encompassing everybody because it includes everybody and it includes you and it includes me. Because as we see from this last text in Isaiah, you know, this clothing, these garments of righteousness and justice, they can only really be as to where once we've taken off whatever it is that previously we've been wearing. Whatever it is that we've wrapped ourselves in, whatever has become, whoever have become the gods we've been worshipping, who've been writing their names on our faces. This goes back to our triad from Jeremiah. You know, maybe for some of us it's wisdom and knowledge, you know, education and study. You know, maybe it's, for some of us it's, it's been position and rank and class and influence and power, I don't know. Uh, maybe for some of us it's about uh, wealth and financial security and ensuring that we have enough material possessions filling the holes in our lives to make us start feeling good about how rubbish everything is. Um, in order for us to step into the righteousness and justice that we read about in the scriptures, first and foremost, every single one of us, just like the story of the prodigal son, needs to see the actual condition of our own hearts and where 
In Isaiah 53, it says, we all like sheep have gone astray. And we recognize, I don't know, did you know I was going to talk about Revelation 3? <laughs> Revelation 3. The spirit, she didn't, we, oh, we don't confirm. We, talk, we, hard, we hardly talk. <laughs> Revelation 3. The spirit speaks to the church in Laodicea. And it's really important that verse, that text that Kate was reading from, Revelation 3.20, that section, that is to the church. That is not to the unchurch. That's often used as an evangelical, evangelistic device, and that's fine. But the text in the context of Revelation 3.20 is um, to the church. And the Spirit says to the church that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It's the same deal. You know, that sounds terrible, but that's actually not a bad place to come to. It's the place we all have to come to. It's the place that the prodigal son comes to when he finds himself eating the pods that the pigs eat and says, even my father's servants eat better than I do. I will go back to my father's house and I'll say, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I have sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. And he comes home. He goes home to his father. And we are invited to do the very self-same thing, even this morning. And that might be for the first time, that might be for the hundredth time, but basically we need daily, moment by moment, to come to the cross and take off everything. Take it all off. Everything that we have put on, whatever it is that we have allowed to define us, whether that's wisdom, power, wealth, whatever it is. And we need to come to the Father, um, who, by the way, as you'll know from the parable of the prodigal son, while we are still a long way off, the Father sees the Son and runs towards him, throws his arms around us. And what does he do? What does the Father do in that parable? He puts his best robe around us. He clothes us. He clothes us with garments of salvation and arrays us in his robe of righteousness. And because of the restorative justice of the cross and because of the retributive justice of the cross, we can find ourselves in right relation with God, our creator, with ourselves, with those around us, especially the vulnerable, and with the world in which we find ourselves. And now, having come to the cross, and having been saved by grace, having been led to repentance through God's kindness, with our relationships restored, from that place, we can begin to work out our salvation with fear and trembling by doing justice, by loving mercy, and by walking humbly with our God. Okay, I'm going to start. Uh, three things just for us to reflect upon, maybe. Um, first thing, how are we wearing righteousness? And I suppose what I mean by that, um, how are our relationships? Let's take some time, maybe this morning, maybe this week, and invite the Spirit of God to let us do a bit of an audit on how are our relationships. Are we in right relationship? Most importantly with God, but with ourselves, with one another, 
and with the world in which we find ourselves. So the first thing is, how are we wearing righteousness? Um, second is, how are we wearing justice? What are we doing for our quartet of the vulnerable? However you define that, whoever that may be. How, is our, how are our lives? How are your, is your life? How is my life actually visibly, tangibly, as bright orange as Jez is for justice? How are the clothes of justice that we're wearing so bright and visible that we look at Jez and go, wow, I can see justice on you. I can see how you're doing justice out of your righteousness, out of your right relationships, the impact that it's having in the lives of others around you. You're doing justice. It's incredible. And then thirdly, um, when did we last come to Jesus? And, you know, of course, we're always with Jesus. We walk with Jesus. We talk with Jesus. He forms the fabric of our lives every minute of every day, of course. Um, but sometimes, especially in seasons like this, it's possible that we can go a little bit astray. And actually, when we stop and think about it, it's like, actually, it's been a while since I actually really spent time with Jesus. It's actually been a while since I actually came to Jesus. And when I say, when was the last time we came to Jesus, um, when was the last time we came to Jesus and stripped everything off and took everything off? All the things that have been shaping us, all the things that have been forming us, all the stuff that we've picked up, the debris and detritus of life, and just took it all off and just stood before him, vulnerable, naked, pitiful, wretched, whatever. And said, I hear you knocking at the door, and I want to invite you in, and I want to sit down and eat with you, and um, I want to allow you to clothe me in your righteousness. There's just three things that we might want to think about. We're now going to celebrate the Lord's Supper.